Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. Well, thank you, and thank Pastor Scott for those kind, kind words. You know, uh, I'm, I'm so excited about what is happening here at this church. And let me tell you something else. I'm excited about your new name. I have people ask me when, I'm, when we're home, I have people ask me uh, all the time, what do you think of the new name? What do you think of the name change at First Wesleyan? And this is what I say. If I thought I could have gotten away with it, I would have done it while I was here. So if you've got any problems, you understand where I stand, okay, on that. Wow, this, this feels uh, somewhat familiar this morning to be up here. Actually, the last time that I spoke from this stage, uh, our youngest grandchild had just been born. She's now completing her freshman year at Northridge High School. It's incredible. We... we uh, we had in the last few months our first great-grandchild, our oldest son. His son uh, had a, a child, and so we have our first great-grandchild, our grand, great-grandson. So yes, that makes Francie a great-grandma. <laughs> Not me, I'm too young to be a great-grandpa. But it makes her a great-grandma. A few weeks ago, I was uh, up here after service uh, uh, talking to, uh, to Pastor Scott, we were talking about today, and uh, he asked me a question. He said, have you ever fallen off of this stage? And I said, I don't think so. Well, after, after that, and after we left, I got to think, I said, that was, what was that all about? You know, you wonder why I'm sitting on a stool this morning, Right? Well, uh, I, I do tend when I'm standing to... By the way, I can still stand to speak, okay? <laughs> but uh, when I'm standing to speak, I do tend to walk around a lot like your pastor does. And uh, so uh, I found that it's very distracting to the message when I'm standing and walking around for Francie back there to be continually going, <gasps> <gasps> you know. So that's the reason I'm sitting. Well, in the intervening time since I last spoke here, uh, we have been involved in a, a ministry called Transitional Interim Pastor Ministry. We uh, have ministered in churches as Transitional Interim Pastor, helping churches refocus and get on mission. Uh, usually for a period of 12 months, we, we are at a church as the pastor, and we've now ministered in nine uh, states, 12 different churches. Uh, we're now in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, so uh, that's what we've been busy doing. You know, one of my favorite uh, authors is Max Licato. He's a favorite of a lot of people. And in one of his books, uh, Max gives a brief account concerning the life of a fellow by the name of Robert Reed. I want to read that brief account to you this morning as a launching point for this message. So listen as I read. 
His hands are twisted, and his feet are useless. He can't bathe himself. He can't feed himself. He can't brush his teeth, comb his hair, or put on his underwear. His shirts are held together by strips of Velcro. His speech drags like a worn-out audio cassette. You see, Robert has cerebral palsy. The disease keeps him from driving a car, riding a bike, going for a walk. But it didn't keep him from graduating from high school or attending Abilene Christian University, from which he graduated with a degree in Latin. Having cerebral palsy didn't keep him from teaching at St. Louis Junior College or from venturing overseas on five mission trips. And Robert's disease didn't prevent him from becoming a missionary in Portugal. He moved to Lisbon alone in 1972. There he rented a hotel room and began studying Portuguese. He found a restaurant owner who would feed him after the rush hour and a tutor who would instruct him in the language. Then he stationed himself daily in a park where he distributed brochures about Jesus Christ. Within six years, he led 70 people to the Lord, one of whom became his wife, Rosa. Max goes on to say, I heard Robert speak recently. I watched men carry him in his wheelchair onto the platform. I watched them lay a Bible in his lap. I watched him with his stiff fingers force open the pages of that Bible. I watched the audience wipe away tears of admiration from their faces. Robert could have asked for sympathy or pity, but he did just the opposite. He held up his, his bent hand up in the air and he boasted, I have everything I need for joy. And then Max Licato, as he often does in his books, bottom lines it. He says, Robert's shirts are held together by Velcro, but his life is held together by joy. So let me ask you this morning, what holds your life together? What holds your life together? Uh, is it the fact that everything seems to be going reasonably well in your life today? If you're married, is it fact that uh, you have a reasonably happy marriage? If you have children, is it the fact that your children seem to be happy and, and, and uh, they are pretty uh, obedient and behave, they, they behave themselves? If you're single, is it fact that you have reasonably good relationships with some friends? If you're in school, is it the fact that you're doing pretty well in your classes? Or if, if you have a job, is it the fact that your job is fulfilling and seems to be going reasonably well for you? Is that what's holding your life together? Well, let me ask you another question. What if... 
What if, say tomorrow, something comes along to disrupt your reasonably happy life? What if you suddenly face some unexpected headwinds? What happens then? What, what if your reasonably good marriage is shaken by unfaithfulness or divorce or the death of your spouse? What if your reasonably good friendship is destroyed by betrayal? What if uh, your reasonably good school experiences are interrupted by something called a pandemic? What if your job, your job is terminated suddenly? What then? What if your reasonably good life is suddenly thrown into turmoil by unexpected circumstances? Could you say, like severely handicapped Robert Reed, could you still say, I have everything I need for joy? Could you say that? I want to show you a video clip in just a moment. It's, it's a scene uh, that most of us here have witnessed on a number of occasions. It's a wedding ceremony. Now, if there's any symbol in our culture that symbolizes joy, it's a wedding, right? Boy, you're awful quiet out there. <laughs> it symbolizes joy, a wedding. Well, I want you to watch this clip because this wedding ends in a very surprising way. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to witness the union of two lives, that of James and Sarah. James, do you take Sarah to be your wife, to live together in the covenant of marriage? Do you promise to love her, comfort her, honor her, keep her in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others to be faithful to her as long as you both shall live? I do. And Sarah, do you now I take... I have written my own vows. By all means. James, I love you. I cherish every moment that we spend together. You're my hero and my friend. I promise that I will love you, honor you, care for you, and support you for the rest of my life. There's only one thing I ask in return. One day a year, only one day, I want to be single again. I want to be able to spend time with old boyfriends, or guy hunting, clubbing, that sort of thing. Whatever comes up for the day. Well, what do you think? Well, James, it sounds reasonable to me. 
Are you kidding? You must all be out of your minds. What's the problem? What more could you possibly want from me? Yeah, James, what exactly do you want? What do I want? Well, I don't want you on a part-time. I want all of you. All of you should belong to me. Well, that's how this thing works. in all the weddings that I have done over the years, I've never had one end that way. Thank the Lord. I've never had one end that way. You know, the Gospel of John, the second chapter, tells the story of a wedding. It was a wedding that took place during the early part of the earthly ministry of Jesus. And on that occasion, there was a short conversation that took place between Jesus and his mother. It also is a wedding that ends in a very surprising way. Follow along as I read. I'm reading from the message version. Three days later, there was a wedding in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were guests also. When they started running low on wine at the wedding banquet, Jesus' mother told him, they're just about out of wine. Jesus said, is that any of our business, mother? Yours or mine? This isn't my time. Don't push me. Well, she went ahead anyway telling the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. Six stone water pots were there, used by the Jews for ritual washings. Each held 20 to 30 gallons, and Jesus ordered the servants, fill the pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. And now fill your pitchers and take them to the host. That's what Jesus said, and they did. And, and when the host tasted the water that had become wine, he didn't know what had just happened, but the servants, of course, knew. He called out to the bridegroom, Everybody I know begins with their finest wines after the guests have had their fill, brings in cheap stuff. But you saved the best till now. This act in Cana of Galilee was the first sign Jesus gave the first glimpse of his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, weddings were especially joyful times in Jesus' day. You see, this was not an easy time to be alive and to be inhabiting the nation of Israel. The Jews were in, under the hard, firm hand of Roman rule. They were being taxed to death. And, and, and it was hard to get by economically. And uh, 
And so uh, this was the occasion of this wedding. One, one, one writer describes it this way. Palestinian life in Jesus' day was harsh by today's standards. It was tough to scratch out a living with a scorching sun overhead, rocky soil underfoot, hostile governments in charge, and unfriendly neighbors on every border. Common people had little cause for gaiety. That's why weddings were so important. They afforded a legitimate reason for a community to stop working, to eat and drink and make merry for a few days. In a small town like Cana, where everybody knew everybody else, the whole village would join in the festivities. I've ministered in a number of third world countries over the years, and it's kind of interesting to me, I've observed this, that, that in the, the harder the lifestyle in a particular country, the more fabulous the weddings. I discovered this uh, years ago in Guyana, South Africa. We were driving through uh, Georgetown and, and diving down this street, and there, there was this house that was decorated all over like it was Christmas. And I said, this isn't Christmas. What is going on? He said, they're having a wedding. They even decorate the outside of their houses when they're having a wedding. Well, we're right in the midst of the festive occasion described here in John chapter 2. A crisis develops. And it's a crisis that threatens to sap the joy right out of the occasion. You see, the wine is running out. Now, in our day, that would be like the baker failing to show up with the cake. Now, you need to understand something about Jewish weddings in Jesus' day. Our modern weddings would seem pretty tame by comparison. They were, those weddings in Jesus' day were real blowouts, and, and they went on for days on end. When our oldest son, Chris, was being married a number of years ago up in northern Michigan, uh, I quickly found out that they do things different up there, at least they did at that time. Uh, you see, Chris and Dory's reception was a full sit-down dinner for 300 guests. I was really enjoying the occasion until Francie leaned over to me and she said, Dick, I want to do this for Angela's wedding. <laughs> a few weeks later, sometime later, when, when they, they handed me a uh, copy of the, the film, Father of the Bride, it's, that's when something occurred to me. There's something going on here. Let's see. I want to tell you that, that even the reception that I described up in Michigan was small in comparison to the celebration that went on at weddings in Jesus' day. It usually lasted a full week, and, and a father would endure hardship, a lot of overtime work, in order to save enough to buy the food and the wine for that extended celebration. And so that's the reason that the news that the wine was running out precipitated such a crisis in this story. You see, to run out of wine at a wedding was to suffer social humiliation. 
and tugs wagged overtime, and, and memories were long in small towns like Cana of Galilee. The crisis was a crisis of inadequacy. It should remind us that when our joy is tied to something, tied to anything that has limitations, it can easily be destroyed. Inadequacy can destroy our joy. If our joy is dependent upon what we possess, it can be destroyed by loss. If, if, if our joy is dependent on a certain relationship, it can be destroyed by the end of that relationship. If our joy depends on what we have achieved or how we are appreciated, it can be destroyed by our failure or by the insensitivity of other people. You see, if our joy is dependent on anything that has limitations, it can be destroyed. It can be destroyed when it falls short of our hopes, our dreams, our expectancies. Well, on this occasion in ancient Canaan of Galilee, the wine was running out. It was inadequate, and, and, and joy was being threatened. Now, there was a deeper meaning to the story right here, and it's seen by the actions Jesus is about to perform. You see, he was going to demonstrate that apart from he and his heavenly Father, anything, anything falls short of producing lasting joy. You get that? Anything falls short of producing lasting joy. That was true even in the Jewish religion. There was no life in it anymore. There, there was no exuberance. There, there, there was no salvation. And thus there was no joy. No joy at all. It wasn't just in this little village of Cana of Galilee that a crisis of joy is, uh, is taking place. It was taking place in the society in general. And the reason there was a crisis is because distance had developed between God and his people. And it wasn't God who moved away. He wasn't the one who moved. Distance develops between us and our creator, redeemer God. When that happens, the kind of joy that holds our life together dissipates. And I think that's the real reason that Jesus was there. He was there to demonstrate that very thing. Oh, I know, his mother was there. And this was evidently a family occasion, or at least it was an occasion for a close, fam a close uh, uh, family that was their friends. Whatever it was, Jesus' mother, at some time or another, the Bible doesn't say that, but at some time or another, got in Jesus' ear and said, you really need to be there. Moms are good at that, aren't they? They call it... They wouldn't call it, but it's, it's called guilt motivation. You really 
need to be there. As Coach Bear Bryant used to say when asked why he left coaching at the, at the University of Kentucky to come back to Alabama where he played football, become the head football coach, asked why he did that, his answer was this, I came because mama called. And probable reason that Jesus was at this wedding was because mama called. But that wasn't the larger reason as we shall soon see. Thus it was at the wedding with a developing crisis that a short but very significant conversation took place between Jesus and his mother. It was a conversation that demonstrates for you and me how God feels about this thing called joy in our life. In response to his mother's words, Jesus tells us by his actions that our joy, your joy, my joy, is important to God. Let that sink in this morning, folks. Your joy, my joy, is important to God. He knows what joy, genuine joy, he knows that it's the only thing that will hold our lives together no matter what comes in our lives, no matter what we face. It's the only thing that will hold our lives together. Now, if joy is missing in your life, I want to tell you something this morning and listen to what I'm about to say. If joy is missing in your life, you're way out on a limb. And sooner or later, something or someone is going to come along and cut the limb off. Where will you be then? Our joy is important to God. I think that's the big statement that Jesus is making here by his presence at this wedding in ancient Cana of Galilee. You see, joy followed Jesus wherever he went. I don't know whether you've gotten into the, to the new film series, The Chosen. If you haven't, I highly recommend it. There's been two seasons. The third season airs this fall, and their intent is to do 11 seasons. You know what I like about it? it? It illustrates and expresses like no other portrayal I've ever seen the joy that surrounded Jesus. It was joy that he carried with him wherever he went proclaiming the kingdom message. He wasn't the stoical figure that a lot of people, that a lot of portrayals have presented him as being. Wherever he went, Proclaiming the kingdom message, he was surrounded by the presence of joy, and that's why people like to hang out with him. You see, where Jesus is, there's joy. It was true then, it's true today. 
Where Jesus is, there's joy. I wonder where some people get the idea that, that God is to be served with uh, tears and moans and groans. Now, there's a place for tears. But I wonder why some people get the idea that, that that's the way he's to be followed, that that's the way our Lord wants us to follow him. I wonder where, where people get the idea that our God is displeased with any time we're having a good time. They certainly didn't get it from the life of Jesus. Hear me. They didn't get it from the life of Jesus. God, God isn't glorified when Christians walk around like they have a case of the 40-year flu. He's not glorified by that. Uh, the picture that some Christians uh, draw of Jesus in Christianity leaves a joy-hungry world feeling like a young boy I once read about. His mother was fastidious. She was a fastidious, perfectionist housekeeper to the extent that, that her husband and her children were always afraid to bring people into the house. They, they were afraid that if they brought somebody over, they might move a chair or ruffle a curtain or, or track some dirt in, and so they just didn't bring friends over. They were afraid to. Well, one day, one day her young son was invited to go home with a friend of his, and, and so he went home after school with this friend, and, and they went in the, the back door. That's the way we do in the South, right? They went in the back door, and, and, the, and uh, it was obvious his mom, this mom, his mom had just, had just mopped the kitchen. It was a shiny floor, and, and when this, th this young man from the other home noticed it, he took a step back. And his friend's mom began to laugh, and with a big smile, she said, Oh, come on, come on in. It, it doesn't matter. J just come on in. And so he eased up, and he walked into the house, and then he stopped in front of his friend's mother, and he said, Man, I wish my mother were as dirty as you are. So, so Jesus is making a statement by his attendance at this wedding. He's saying that our joy is important to God. Now, here, here's where the conversation between Jesus and his mother comes in. And, and again, don't miss its significance. The wine runs out, and a little Jewish mother approaches her amazing son and says, Son, the party's only half over, and the wine's running out. Now, I'm not sure exactly what she expected Jesus to do. It was kind of like my experience. You know, sometimes in the middle of the night, uh, I'm sound asleep, and Francie will wake me up, and she'll say, I heard a noise. You don't think somebody's, you think somebody's getting it, trying to get in the house? And I lay there, you know, half naked in my sleeping shorts, <laughs> and, and, I, and I think to myself, what's she want me to do about it? I don't have a gun. I used to have a machete, but I gave it to my grandson. So, so, so what's she wanting me to do about it? Well, I'm not sure, but and, and I, I'm sure of one thing, that Mary knew her son. Oh, the, the events surrounding his birth were as fresh in her as if they had last happened yesterday. She knew he was God's son. He wasn't really Joseph's son. He had been conceived of the Holy Spirit. 
And she'd seen evidence of who Sonny was by, during his childhood, briefly on occasions, I'm sure, though the Bible doesn't record it. But she had certainly began to see the evidence as he began his ministry that was in its infant stage. And that's why, in spite of his gentle rebuke when he says to her, Mother, is that any of our business, yours or mine? This isn't mine, don't push me. That's the reason that she goes immediately to the servants anyway and says, Hey, come here, whatever he tells you, do it. Whatever he says, do it. You, you see, Mary knew something about Jesus. She, she knew that as God in human flesh, people like you and me were important to him. And she knew that their joy was important to him. So Jesus responds. He goes, he goes to the household servants and he says, let's go out here to the entryway. There's these pots of water that, uh, that uh, are filled with, that have water in them that they dip out to wash uh, the dusty feet of people who come off the dusty roads in their sandals. So I want you to take these water pots and I want you to fill them to the brim and then I want you to begin to dip out of them and take the pitchers to the servants, the, the servants serving at the table. And so they did what he said and a, an amazing miracle took place. In all of that activity, the water suddenly turned in to wine. Reminds me of the guy that got, that, that got stopped by the police. And uh, he had a container in the middle of his seat. They, thought he, they stopped him because they thought he was drunk driving. And... and uh, the policeman began to question him and he said I'm, I'm a minister and he said that, that's water in, in that container and the, the policeman said well give it to me the policeman uh, took it and drank of it and obviously it was wine and, and the guy said the pastor said praise the Lord he's done it again <laughs> the water was turned into wine and a shortage of wine that, that once existed now became an abundance uh, Bible scholars tell, it, tell us that it was probably 180 gallons of wine. Now, that provision was extravagant, and no, no wedding party in a little village like Cana of Galilee at a time when it was a disgrace to get drunk would have consumed that much wine. Now, isn't it just like our Lord? It was He who said to us, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. You see, God never does things halfway. He never does. He provides for us life without limits. Joy without limits. So, so here's the bottom line of this true story from the life and ministry of Jesus. When we put our trust in Jesus as Savior... And when we allow him to be Lord of our lives, when we do that, he restores our joy by transforming our inadequacy into that which is more than adequate. 
That's what he does. And so that means that if by faith you open your life to Jesus, and if you keep it open by trust and obedience, you will never run out of joy no matter what comes in your life. You never will. Now, there are times when you won't be happy about everything, but you see, happiness is a different thing. Happiness is ephemeral. Happiness comes and goes. It's circumstantial. That's the reason I get so alarmed when I, and I've seen this over the years, I'll be counseling someone about a decision, and, and, and they, they know that, that the decision they're thinking about making is wrong according to God's word, but they make it anyway, and I've heard this over and over again, I'm doing it because I believe God wants me to be happy. Huh. Really? Now, yeah, eternally and, and uh, in the, uh, you know, ultimately he does. But, you know, he, he, he doesn't call us, he doesn't guarantee happiness. What he does guarantee is joy, and that's a far different thing. Someone's pointed out that, that God, uh, God's main purpose is not to protect us from problems. Now, he does sometimes, and we're expected, we need to pray and ask him to. Uh, they point out God doesn't deliver us from problems. Now, he does sometimes, and we are to, we are to pray and ask him to, but, but uh, he, he might and he might not. You say, where do you get that from, Pastor? Have you read Hebrews chapter 11 lately? You see, God's interested in something greater. He's interested in us. He's interested in new creation. He's interested in the joy of that. And so, the joy that comes from God is meant to be constant. And when it comes to, to the joy that holds life together, He is the source of it. He is the only source. If you put your trust in Him, only Him, that joy will always be available to you, guaranteed. That's absolutely true. No matter what comes your way in life. It's absolutely true. You'll be like a, a little boy I read about who grew up in the inner city of one of our great inland cities. He grew up in the slums. Grew up in the housing project. And uh, he got involved with a local girls and boys club and they assigned him a mentor. And one day his mentor said to him, son, how would you like to take a trip with me? And he says, I want to take you to see the ocean. So the little boy was excited. They got in the car and they went out and drove several miles to the ocean and they stood on the seashore and he they gazed out across the water and the mentor said to him, so what do, you, what do you think? What are you thinking about? Well, he said, sir, I was just thinking it sure is great to be able to see enough of something. In Jesus, you and I will have enough joy no matter what comes our way. I'm also reminded of a, of, a, of a young girl who went with her class to tour a chocolate factory, probably up in Hershey, Pennsylvania. That's a great place if you haven't been there. 
They were going where they, in the air, they were in the room where they mixed the chocolate in these big vats, and she couldn't resist. She kind of hung behind from the rest of the group, and, and she reached over her, to dip into the chocolate to get a finger full of chocolate from that vat, and she slipped and fell in. As she was falling in, she was heard to pray, Oh, Lord, make my tongue equal to the occasion. In the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 10, we're told of the reconstruction of the walls of, Jericho, the walls of Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. Nehemiah had led a group of people back to rebuild the walls. Many of the Jews had already gone back. Cyrus had released them from the Babylonian captivity after the Persians had defeated the Babylonians. And, and they had gone back to Jerusalem, but they had failed to rebuild the walls. And it was an insult to a city in that day to not have strong walls and so Nehemiah became burdened back and, and, and the, the, the ruler Darius gave him permission to go back and take a group and begin to rebuild the walls well it was a hard task and it was a discouraging task because the enemies around there didn't want it rebuilt they spread innuendos they criticized Nehemiah they made physical threats and Nehemiah says to them chapter 8 verse 10 remember in the Lord is your strength. In the, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I would say that to you this morning. I, I don't know what somebody's going through today. I don't know what you're facing. Remember, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let the joy of the Lord fill you. You say, well, pastor, I'm a Christian. Well, you know what? Sometimes we need to hear again this need for joy. You know, it's, it's easy for the joy to leak out. Has the joy leaked out of your life, old Christian? Like the little, the guy had, the young boy had come to the, forward to pray at the end of the service, and an old gentleman was patting him on the back and said, "Help him, Lord, he leaks." Do you leak? Has the joy leaked out? Have you ever had that joy? Do you know Jesus? If you don't, you can before you leave this room this morning. Let's pray together, Lord. We bow before you today. You are the source of our joy. And you offer to us joy without limitations. I pray this morning for that person here who may not know you in a personal way and has never really experienced the joy that you have to offer. I pray that they'll open their heart and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. As much as I know how, I open the door of my life and I ask you to come in. I need to know that joy that is being spoken about this morning in this message. Please come in and fill me with your joy. I pray for that Christian this morning who the joy has leaked out of their life. A life has been hard and pressing and, and has squeezed them and, and they developed a leak and the joy has leaked out. And, and uh, I, I just pray this morning
that you will restore their joy as they ask you to. I pray that you will restore their joy. May joy once again be the characteristic of their life. I ask that in Christ's name, in your precious holy name. And all the people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.